I have the incredible privilege of transitioning our service as well as introducing some very special guests and some very special friends of ours. Pastor Brent and Janice Sharp from Tulsa, Oklahoma are going to be ministering the word to us today. They're going to be sharing uh, with some of our elders and our core leaders later this evening in our home. And it is such an incredible honor to host them. Christy and I actually met the Sharps 17 years ago because they walked this young, beautiful gal and this young, handsome man through 10 weeks of premarital counseling. This morning, as we were getting ready, Christy said, we were, we were in the bathroom. She goes, oh my goodness, Pastor Brent was a part of our, our marriage ceremony. And, uh, and that was such an incredible blessing. They've been reintroduced to not only our lives, but also to Pastor Jonathan and Bonnie, as Pastor Brent and Janice have walked with them very, very closely over the past two years, seeing them heal and seeing them be restored and process who God is through their lives, walking them through grief counseling. Pastor Brent and Janice have been involved in ministry now full-time for 35 years. Since, uh, was it 2002? I did the math this morning. 35 years. And is it longer than that? 1980, 82, so 35 years. And, um, and guys, we just want to honor them and welcome them for the special gift that they're bringing to this house. Will you help me welcome and honor Pastor Brent and Janice Sharp this morning? We've been uh, excitedly waiting for this moment. We, we love your pastors. They are doing a marvelous thing here, and we love meeting new family members. Um, so extended relatives we've never met uh, before. It's kind of like a family picnic, and so we are thrilled. Um, I said that we've been in ministry for 35 years. Obviously, we started when we were 10. Uh, okay, that's a lie. Um, and so we have actually had this amazing, one, probably one of the greatest uh, blessings in our life is we've had this opportunity to travel a, a lot and do marriage conferences. And we sat down many years ago and thought about all the different churches that we had an opportunity to connect with over the years. And we, every time we thought of a denomination, we thought, you know, we've actually, remember that church over there? We were actually uh, with them for about 15 years in the middle of our ministry. We were in about every uh, denomination you can imagine. So we were in many independent charismatic churches and assemblies and Pentecostal churches, but we were in Baptist churches and Methodist churches and Nazarene and Lutheran and, and uh, some high church experiences and, and all kinds of uh, facets of the body of Christ. And we're here this morning to tell you the body of Christ is alive and well. I am thrilled to hear what you all did uh, this weekend. And there's something about connecting our hearts together. You know, we're unfortunately really good at separating ourselves. But when I see these movements of where life comes together and the church comes together, uh, it's something special is happening in the world. And every time we went into a church, we thought, oh my gosh, just like we did today, we just had a wonderful, we could kind of just go to the Eucharist and be done today, and we've had a wonderful experience already. Um, just like today, we thought, wow, there's some stuff that they're doing that's just awesome. Uh, and every time we went to church, we, we thought about that, and we thought, you know, there's some people over here that we would love um, f- um, to see what you're doing, and we'd love you to see what they're doing. 
And oftentimes we felt like we were body of Christ matchmakers. Uh, we were trying to connect uh, people in their lives. And so um, we are, uh, again, thrilled in the opportunity that we have to, to connect with you. And we see there's, there's super things that are happening. Um, um, the, um, the, the body is uh, something that I'm not sure that we fully understand, that we recognize what God is really wanting to do um, in the world today. The, uh, uh, our, our own home church, we, again, in this traveling, we've been in ministry for a long time, but we recognize in our own home church that there were things that we felt like that were missing, that we were uh, just not paying attention to. And so for the last 15 years, we've been kind of moving in our ministry uh, in a place that we call now um, convergence. This idea of how do, we, um, how do we see what God is doing throughout the world uh, through the three major streams of, of Christendom, um, the evangelical world, the charismatic world, and the historical or sacramental world. And so we had been pretty much entrenched in the evangelical charismatic world. That's where we had spent most of our life, our upbringing, um, went to ORU and came out of ministry in that. Now, we did go to ORU before they had electricity. Um, we came in covered wagons. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Um, and that's where we spent most of our, of our time in ministry. But we came out of this traveling experience and realizing that there were some things that were happening in the historical church, things that had been going on uh, for centuries and centuries that really united the body of Christ worldwide that we were just simply not paying attention to. And so for the last uh, many years, we've been taking um, what we are comfortable with and feel so um, positive about the evangelical stream, which has a high value for scripture that really gives focus for our mission. And then we've been enjoying the charismatic stream as we did this morning that, that really saturates, and that's probably the best word I could use for it, that has kind of saturated even our experience this morning, that sensitivity um, to the spirit. And then the area that we felt like we left off um, was what we'd consider the historical church or the sacramental church. And these rhythms that have been going on for centuries. And we have found that these have now formed um, the foundation for our formation. The, we've, we always say in counseling that healthy people have good healthy habits. Healthy marriages have good healthy habits. It's not, it's not just the inspiration that we receive, but it's what we actually do after that. And so we found that we can receive the inspiration from the Spirit and move us into these rhythms, um, into these habits that we consistently do, because you are being formed by your habits, whether they're good habits or bad habits, um, it is forming you. And so if we pay attention to these habits that the church has been in, 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 steeped in for centuries, then it actually forms us in a beautiful way. And where the church is kind of separated into these three streams and kind of pulled apart, we feel like if we can just pull these together, if we can join these streams together, um, our own experience in our own home church has become richer and deeper than we um, ever, ever anticipated it. And so we have been watching you from a distance. We've been noticing that your pastors have been, um, have been talking with you about reclaiming um, some of the nature of the historical church. And we are praying for you. Uh, 
we so believe in what you're doing and we're, uh, we're excited to see what, um, where this is going to lead you. Uh, and just kind of what you did this weekend is part of that, is connecting with others and other expressions. And, you know, we, we, we believe way more the same than we do difference. Um, and so it's really ab about that focus. Blending these three streams that so often separate us uh, has brought this depth uh, and richness. So we find it similar to marriage. We've been marriage counselors for 35 years, and, and um, it, we've seen the, the, the way that God did this, that the greatest strength of marriage is when you blend these unique differences. Um, every couple that we've ever met with, ultimately, within a few months after marriage, finds out, wow, we're really different, aren't we? <laughs> we thought we had so much in common, but we're really different here. Um, and we believe it really is those, is those differences that forms the greatest potential strength. And so um, we had this opportunity uh, just a few months ago to South Africa. We were working in a church outside of Johannesburg. And uh, they, we could talk about that all the rest of the day. South Africa was wonderful and what God is doing in the church there. And, but they took us on a safari. It was a picture-taking safari rather than a shooting safari. Uh, took us to the Kruger National Park, and it's just this huge game reservation. And we stayed in these little compounds that had these huge fences around them, fortunately, because uh, it's pretty much just full of wild animals. And, but every evening we would bry. Now, the South Africans are very proud of their brying, which is grilling. It's just grilling out. And uh, they, have this, they have this food. Um, it's a burravores. I'm sure I just oh. slaughtered that. Um, but it's a combination of beef and lamb and pork. And then they put these amazing um, in other spices and ingredients in it. And it, slap your mama. I mean, it is, <laughs> it is beautiful. Uh, we would grill that each night and... It, the thing that made it so wonderful was, was the unique different blends of, of these characteristics and all of these different meats and spices. And we unfortunately get afraid of these differences, but it's actually the differences that create the greatest strength. Uh, the challenge in human relationships is we don't know what to do with differences. Most of the time by adulthood, we pretty much think that we have got the world pretty well figured out. That the way that you see the, the, you know, the way that I see the world is the right way. Now, can I get a witness? Don't, don't we pretty much think that? Now, that works beautifully as long as everybody else agrees with you. But the minute you disagree with me, well, wait a second. I know I'm right and I see it right and you're different. Well, you must be wrong. And I need to help you see the light. Or I'm just going to separate myself from you. Unfortunately, we've seen that happen in the church. We don't know what to do with these differences. So, so if this is our, is our tendency, our human tendency, tendency is to think that we've got it right and to separate from those that are different, how do we move towards unity? If that is what God's calling us to do, how do we do that? So we want to frame our time together with the last section of Scripture, the famous prayer that Jesus prayed right before he went to be with the Father. Earlier in this section, it's in John 17, he said he completed his work and he was ready to go to the Father. But then he prayed for his disciples and he prayed for us as well, that we might be one. 
So John 17, 20 says, My prayer is not for them alone, the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, us, that all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I and them, and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and have loved them, even as you have loved me. The number one message of Jesus was unity. He put so much focus on that because it's so important to all of us. Unity and loving one another seem to be at the heart of God, but they also seem to be the best evangelical tool that we can have. People know God by seeing the love that we have for one another. And yet, it's so hard to do. Even in our everyday relationships, we struggle with trying to come together in unity. Now, we shouldn't be terribly surprised that we're not good at this. Uh, simply look at the Christian church worldwide. For the first thousand years, there was one church. For the first thousand years, there was one church. Then for the next 500, it split into two. And then at the Protestant Reformation and for the last 500 years, the most recent study that we have, have, have seen is that it now has split into 44,000 denominations. Not 44,000 churches, 44,000 different denominations. So no wonder we're not very good at this. Um, we just, we kind of get in a community and we, you know, we go, well, we don't like exactly how you do that, so we're going to take our toys down the street and, and do our thing. We're not very good at this. Now, we're not going to fix all of that today. Um, we're not going to reunify the body of Christ, okay? But I believe that every time two people come together in unity, every time a husband and wife come together in unity, every time that two co-workers come together in unity, every time a church comes together with 35 other churches, I believe we change the world. We reunify the body of Christ. So this is so important, but it is so difficult. So today, we simply want to share a few things that we've found that can help us unify and grow together in our relationships. The first one is focus. We have to choose what we focus on. Isn't it so much easier to focus on the negative things in people? Like, oh, I really like her, but uh, yeah, that kind of bugs me. He's a really great guy. If he just wasn't so loud, oh, that's so hard for me to be around. But we have to realize that everyone has some positive in them. Whether it's your spouse, your children, even your teenagers, your neighbor, your coworkers. But we have to choose whether we're going to focus on the positive or focus on the negative. Now, we have four children. They are mo the most incredible people in the world. Um, I'm not biased because Brent agrees with me. Um, <laughs> But they all turned into grown-ups on us. But when they were little kids, they did a lot of performing, whether it was gymnastics, singing, drama, or whatever. Well, back in those days, some of you will remember, video cameras were, like, huge. They were, like, the size of a suitcase. 
So I would be at their performances and I would have this big camera on my shoulder and you'd have to look in the eyepiece the whole time. Well, after a while I got so tired of that that I'd put it here and then I'd look around so I could see them singing or dancing a little bit better, which was great, except my camera had autofocus. So if I wasn't keeping my eye on what was happening through the little viewfinder, it would automatically zoom in to something really close to us. So I have hours and hours and hours of videotape with the grandparent in front of me's head very, very close up and my child back in the back singing or dancing. And that's how our life is. We can easily allow our lives to autofocus onto the negative in other people's lives. And so we have to get ourselves to focus back, to pay attention, so that we are focusing on the good and the right in people around us. We're drawn to our spouse because they have qualities that we don't have. Did you notice that? Your spouse is a little different. And so we love those, but it's those very differences that end up causing conflict or causing us to pull apart from each other over time. You know how you were attracted to him because he was so steady and so stable? And then you're married a while and he's so boring. It's like, hello, wake up, are you in there? Or maybe you were attracted to him because he was so fun-loving and energetic and he added so much joy to your life. And now it's like, could you ever be serious? It's not all a joke. Or I've heard some women say, it's like I have another kid. He's playing all the time. So those things that we love, those things that, drove, that pulled us together are the very things that irritate us, that bug us day in and day out. It's easy to slip our focus and to focus on the negative. God's plan is the blending of these differences. Whether it's in your marriage, in your family, in your church, in your work, it's having the variety of different strengths that we can pull together so that we make a stronger whole. We're much stronger as we blend together than, they, than we would be apart. So to deal with those, uh, I'm sorry, Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 12 when he talks about us all being part of a body. We all have those different functions. And God put all of those little pieces together so that we would be strong and that we could go into the world and make a difference that we as the body of Christ moving together actually can make a difference and change the world. But Paul also understood this whole automatic focus thing because he gave us Philippians 4.8 that said, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the peace of God will be with you. Think about such things in our spouses, in our children, in our work, in our neighborhood, in our church. Focusing in those things that are good and right and lovely and pure. Do you remember if you're married, you remember an early courtship? Um, all you could think about is the things that you liked and had in common. We like the same salad dressing. You know, we like the same music. And <laughs> And then pretty quickly, it's, we hardly see anything alike. Um, because we've done this for years, um, 
you know, unfortunately, pretty much we had to learn all the stuff that we teach the hard way. We didn't have, you know, 40, 43 years ago, 42 years ago when we met. Um, there was no such thing as premarital counseling. And, and uh, we found out really quick that we were quite different. And one of the things that helped us uh, really experience and really had the Holy Spirit speak to us in a very significant way uh, was a situation that took place early in our marriage now, our personalities are very different. Uh, my personality is very orderly and very structured. My dad was a colonel in the Army, and so he kind of sent my orderliness into hyperdrive. You can kind of eat, eat off of his garage floor. Um, Literally. Yeah, Janice is much more laid back. And so one of the ways that we found conflict pretty quick, early in our relationship was how we kept the house, and particularly how we kept a closet. Um, now, my <laughs> half of the closet was quite orderly. Um, you know, I had my hangers just a certain amount, you know, distance apart and my white shirts together and blue shirts together and so forth and my shoes all lined up. And He had and, shoe trees. I didn't even know what shoe trees were until I married him. He had shoe trees in all his shoes. I don't really think they need to know that part okay. of this, okay? <laughs> so, uh, so, anyway, that's how my half of the closet was. Her half of the closet was... There were a few things hung up. There were some things on the floor. There were some things on the on the chair in the bedroom. There were a few things on the couch in the living room. And if so, the, if the door shuts, it works. You know what I'm saying? You may have to scooch a few things with your foot, but if the door shuts, it's okay. So, so I get her, I get home early one night, and uh, now you have to understand this was a long time ago. I had not developed a lot of wisdom yet. Okay, <laughs> and so I thought I'm going to go help her. I'm going to go fix her closet. Yeah. <laughs> the groans, yes. He was okay. young. I was like 23, okay? Yeah. I just, um, and so I went in, went through the house. I picked it all up, fixed it all, just thinking, this is awesome. Um, she's going to thank me. She's going to, you know, I'm going to show it to her, and she's going to, oh, honey, thank you for helping me get it mm -hmm. the right way so that now I can keep it the right way. <laughs> Again, not very wise. And so I catch her at the door. I walk her in. And I don't get the response I'm thinking I'm going to get. I don't get, uh, you know, the, the thankfulness. What I get is a flushed face. I get her little fists kind of clenched. And I see tears. And I'm thinking, this is not good. Um, now, you have to understand, just a little bit of backstory. I was kind of picking at her little by little by little in our marriage. And this was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit. Now, I did not hear an audible voice. I did, not hear, I did not see writing on the wall. But if I could put into words what the Holy Spirit said to me is, what are you doing? <laughs> I have given you a gift here. Somebody to help you to learn how to stop and smell the roses and enjoy life and not have a heart attack by the age of 40. Um, and you're taking a, a, a square peg and trying to put it in a round hole. You're trying to make her into something that she's not. And immediately at that point, I was arrested. And soon after that, I feel like he kind of put in front of my eyes all of these amazing qualities that she has. She's spontaneous. She's quick-witted. She's fun-loving. Uh, she's a cre creative person. She loves beauty. Uh, now, I loved all of those things. But I wanted all of that and an obsessive-compulsive neat nut um, in, in the same package. They usually don't come together. But an interesting thing happened. When I started focusing on those strengths, all of a sudden, the closet changed. The closet, now you have to understand, I had the closet pretty well close to like 
up on the same level, level as world hunger. Okay, it was about that important. Um, the closet all of a sudden settled back down into a closet. And all of a sudden my attitude changed. And I've told that story over the years and I've had people say, now wait a second. Are you telling me that just because you focused on her strengths that the closet didn't bother you anymore? And I've said, no, I'm not saying that. Uh, but my attitude changed. My attitude before was, I think there's something wrong with you. I think you're broken and I need to fix you. My attitude changed into, you know, honey, there's something that's bugging me. Can we talk about this? Big change. Now, we had a conversation at that point, one of our first issue resolution conversations <laughs> in our marriage. Um, uh, she, told, she was able to share with me that, that she just didn't know that she was going to be able to do anything right for me, that I was kind of just picking at her all the time, and she was concerned about what that was going to look like. I was able to share with her that, honey, I, I wish this didn't bother me, but I walk into a place that's disheveled, and I literally feel anxiety in my chest. I wish I didn't feel that. And we were able to ha come up with a solution to solve the problem. You know what it was? Uh, we were just about ready to buy our first house, and we decided we're only going to look at houses with separate closets. <laughs> that was going to be the way we solved this. Now, we went into many houses, and the realtors thought we were lunatics. Okay, We'd walk right into the master bedroom, and if it had a walk-in closet, we'd walk right back out again. Um, but we found one, and I said, if you can just get the stuff in the closet, um, I will never go in there. I will never say a word about it. Um, and that's how we begin to walk together in unity. Now, some things changed yes. when I stopped As he criticizing. stopped criticizing me over time, I started to see that he had some habits that would be really good for me. So instead of getting entrenched with, which was my attitude, messy, you call this messy? You have not seen messy like I can do messy. So you just keep criticizing me and I'll keep being messy. But once he was accepting, I'm really sweet. I'm a very sweet person. <laughs> once, once he started accepting me and not criticizing me, then I started thinking things like, you know what? When Brent leaves the house in the morning, he can always find his keys. When Brent goes to get shoes out of the closet, he doesn't have to sit on the floor and dig through a pile and go, oh, there's a blue one. Oh, there's a red one. He can just reach in and find the shoes right then. So over time, I began to go, I can put some of that in my life. I can do this. I could do that. And it brought us much more towards center because I no longer felt judged. Now, the really funny thing is, a couple years ago, it was Christmas. The house we live in now, we now share a closet. And we have a large walk-in closet. And a couple years ago at Christmas, um, I'd put all the kids' presents in there and hidden everything. And, and I walked in and I went, oh my gosh, this closet is driving me nuts. We have got to get all this organized and get this stuff out of here. And literally, Brent said to me, I swear, he said, Janice, it's just a closet. It doesn't matter. <laughs> so we can change and grow, okay? But I'm telling you, I could have killed this. I was on a pathway of destruction, trying to f change her and get her to be different. And, and, um, and I'm so thankful for the Holy Spirit and what he can speak to us. The second point that I want to just share this morning is that we have to realize um, that everybody we're dealing with, nobody has it all together. Uh, everybody has some baggage. We're dealing with humans. 
when we um, interact with them. Whether it's marriage, friendships, neighbors, um, church friends, everybody is limited human beings. Um, I think a, a beautiful um, scripture that oftentimes is not really referenced um, to marriage, but I, I see it every day. It's Matthew 13, 44. A very simple one-line parable says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. I think that marriage is like we, we see this treasure in a field. And we want this treasure. But marriage requires that we go and sell all of our possessions and buy the whole field. Um, the whole field is not all treasure-like. Uh, treasures come in fields. The field has weeds and stumps and thistles in it. But we have to put our arms around the entire thing. Mm-hmm. So every hurt that your, your partner has ever gone through, you're making a commitment to that hurt and the impact that that has been on them. Uh, crazy Uncle Harry, sorry if there's an actual Uncle, Uncle Harry, Harry here. In here. Crazy Uncle Harry, we're putting our arms around that. Um, we have to embrace the whole. Uh, and we are going to have some messy times because we're, we're dealing with humans here. But if we don't recognize um, this, this idea of humanity, that we're dealing um, with bumps and bruises that we both have had in our lives that flare up when we interact with each other, um, we're going to struggle uh, if, we, if we don't see this clearly. And so if we don't see this humanity, we end up uh, experiencing or tending with a principle that we call the 90-10 lie. Go back to marriage again for a minute. If you remember, those of you that are married, if you remember those first couple of weeks or months, it was like, oh my gosh, I found everything that I would ever want in this person. 100% of what I've been looking for. Well, first of all, that just can't be true. Um, this person is not God, okay? Uh, we generally marry somebody that has about 80 to 90% of what we're looking for. Uh, and now as marriage counselors, we tell, help people try to go from a 78 to an 85, 85 to a 90 or whatever, but, but it's never going to be 100. That would be idolatry. That would be you're your acting like they're God. We usually then marry somebody that has about 80 to 90% of what we've always longed for. The challenge in that is if we aren't aware of what we're doing, that leaves 10 to 20% of what we always wish we had, they don't have. And there's a chance they won't ever have. And that will affect our attitude. If we don't understand that this is how human relationships work, um, it'll throw our our focus totally off. Now, this affects us on what I consider a continuum. Uh, The lower end of that continuum, it just simply affects my attitude. I just find myself having a negative attitude. I don't necessarily even say anything. But I just think, well, I wish they wouldn't do that. Or I wish they were more like this or whatever. But it affects our attitude and we kind of pull back a little bit from them emotionally. You move up the ladder a little bit farther, and we actually start criticizing them. Because I wish you were more like this person. This, this person coaches his, you know, his children in soccer, and I wish you were more involved in our, you know, in our kids' lives like that. Or I wish you had this kind of a job or did this or that. And it begins to release a poison um, in the relationship. You move up the ladder a little farther, and this is what we spend a big part of our practice. We have a private practice as well in Tulsa, is people decide, I cannot live without that. I have to have that, and they go trying to find it. The problem with that is that oftentimes after they go after it, 
they get out there and all of a sudden their view is a little more clear. Yes, I got that 10%, but this person, I get the 10%, but they're never going to be the 80 or 90% of what, um, of what my spouse was. And many times they've almost burnt the bridge that's hard to get back across. Uh, and, the pro- and the real challenge with this is even though it's only 10 to 20%, if you don't have it, it doesn't feel like 10 to 20%. It feels like 50% or 70% because I don't have that. Uh, as I told you, I was raised, my dad was a colonel in the army. We had all boys and we'd come home from school and my mom oftentimes would bake cookies or something for us. Uh, and many nights she would say to us, now boys, you can go in the refrigerator, get a snack b- before dinner. But don't touch the cookies. All I could think about was the cookies. (laughs) I had a whole refrigerator full of all kind of stuff that we could eat, but all I could think about was the cookies. Once again, if we don't recognize that this is a reality of human experience and understand to not put our partner on some uh, idealistic pedestal um, and recognize that um, they are not... um, a hundred percent, and we can, we can work with it. We can develop it. We can build new skills and and so forth. Um, but we have to guard our hearts in this, um, and recognize how human relationships work. And it's not just in marriage; it's in a lot of other areas of our lives. You can sit in your job, and you can go, "Oh, what do I have to do this?" And you forget the fact that this is a good job. You make a good salary. You're sitting in air conditioning. Things of those natures. We can do that with our extended family. We can do that with our friends. Well, they're great at this, but gosh, I just don't like this, or I wish this was different. We can do that in our church. I love this. I love that. As a matter of fact, in Tulsa, we have a church. (laughs) If you came to our church, I think you'd really like it. We'd like you. I think you'd like it. But I can guarantee you within three to four weeks, you're going to think, hmm, why is it they do that? Or I wish they did this more like my home church did. It's just, it's part of how we, how we work. And if we can understand and recognize um, that we have the 80 to 90% and let's learn to, to, to live it and, and cherish it. And because we're counselors, we have to pause for a moment to give you an action step because we always have to send somebody home with homework. So... <laughs> With these two things in mind, what are you focusing on in the 90-10 lie? The action step is we want you to think about that relationship or that situation that you're struggling with, whether it's your partner, your child, your job, whatever it is. And we want you to write the top 10 qualities or positives about that person or about that situation. And we want you to keep them with you every day And for the next 30 days, I want you to look at them every day and pray over them. Read through the list and say, Lord, I thank you that Brent is stable and steady. Lord, I thank you that he can handle almost any situation. Yes, I was the one that actually turned out boring. Okay. What? (laughs) That was all about clients. So, So I want you to pray over those and see what happens. But then I also want you to go to another step further. And every time you see that positive quality acted out, I want you to affirm that person. So I want you to go, Brent, thank you. That situation was so stressful, and you are so steady and calm. I love that about you. Thank you for being such a hard worker. 
If it's somebody at work, they don't have to know what you're doing. You just go, wow, you know, I really appreciate you catching those typos that I had in that report. Otherwise, it's easy to go, really? That person is always picking at everything. But we, we affirm them in their positive qualities. And two things happen. One, it changes our attitude. So we're focusing on the positive. But the other thing is, we are speaking life to people around us. People don't grow through criticism. People grow through praise and affirmation. So if we can let people know the things that they're doing right, instead of becoming conceited and lazy, they go, oh, they think that's good. I could do this and this and this too. So it's letting them know they have value, they have worth, and we appreciate those things about them. Our final point today. Um, I want to talk about the idea that the power is in the team. You've heard of this principle, probably the power of synergy. Have you heard that term? It means that the power of the team is greater than the power of the individual parts. Over the years, we've worked with couples on this unique way on how do you deal with conflict? How do you learn how to listen to each perspective and each side of the story and, and help couples learn how to collaborate instead of um, be, beginning to have conflict and feel like that they're advers adversaries? And I've been amazed over the years as couples learn how to do this because it really causes them to learn how to find common ground, which is the key. In most conflict, most couples end up with there's a right and a wrong, and we're going to figure out who's right and who's wrong. And then it turns that into this adversarial interaction. It's not how God intended this to work. He is not surprised that we have conflict. The fact that we have conflict in our relationships, it's his fault, okay? I mean, he's the one that caused us to be attracted to people that are different than we are. To learn, to, to see somebody that has a quality that I have and, and draw towards them. So he's not surprised that we have conflict. He just had a whole different way to deal with it. We are so far off the grid in our culture on how to deal with conflict. Our conflict is so adversarial. It's so right and wrong thinking. But as couples learn a different way to approach this, I, I hear almost every day in my office, they, they end up coming up with solutions, and one of them will say, wow, that is a great solution. I would have never thought of that on my own. That sounds like God. That sounds, that sounds like why he puts us in community and he puts us together because we need each other. We are not, none of us are the whole. We all need each other. And when we learn how to move towards each other, there's a power uh, that God has designed for us to experience. Back to 1 Corinthians 12, speaking about the body, it reminds us that each part is not the same. We are all going to be different but we're called to fit together and to value everybody's gifts and all of the differences that we have, even if they seem important or even if they make sense to us or not. But it also shows us that without one of the parts, the body is just not going to function well. We need to have them all working together in unity so that we can function together. I am really thankful that our body is not one big foot or one big eyeball. It would be really awkward to get things done. So we need each and every part working together in unity so we can accomplish the call of God on our life and so we can reach the world. The scripture says in Genesis 1.26 that you've been made in the image of God. Every single one of you are little icons. You're little image bearers. You're God's dream come true. And you know what? You are the only expression of you on the planet 
Every single expression, every single little image bearer of God is different. That's why when we interact with other people, that's why we love going into new churches, because we we're going to walk out of here today, and we will have experienced God in a different way than we've ever experienced him before. We will have seen a unique part uh, of God that we had never seen before. Um, now, the reality is no one of us is the full image of God. We're all just little parts of it. And so the only way that we can fully experience God is by experiencing the whole here and by learning how to connect with other wholes that are meeting all around the, the, the city here today, other, other, other whole churches and whole communities that are connecting with other ones. And that's the only way that we can fully experience God. And if we don't know how to move towards each other in unity, then instead of the power of this church, of Antioch Church, being pulling together shoulder to shoulder all of you, or instead of all the churches in Colorado Springs or in Colorado pulling together and moving, or all the churches in the world moving together, we get the power of that. If we don't have unity, we have the power of one and the power of one and the power of one and the power of one. So no wonder the enemy is against unity. <laughs> he knows if we can, he can keep us separated somehow, he diminishes the power of the church. And just like our hand needs our wrist in order to function, and our ankle has to have our foot, they all have to work together. That's what we're called to do. We're not healthy if our body is fragmented. We're only healthy when it's all connected and all working together. But what that means is we've got to learn how to honor and respect and value and to love one another, even if they are incredibly irritating at times. We, we always say in our church, our coffee shop keeps uh, decaf coffee because they know if I drink caffeine, the people around me get incredibly irritating. So it's just really best for me to not have caffeine. <laughs> so whatever they're like, our call is to humble ourselves, to love one another, to serve one another, to value one another so that we can walk together in unity. Just one final thought. Um... If, if my physical body represented, let's say if you're married, represented um, your body, and each of you, let's say one of you is represented by my right hand and the other one is represented by my left hand, and we're walking out of here today and we're going through these double doors over here, and I just walked in them a minute ago, they're pretty solid, and I've, um, I've got my hand, let's say uh, my right hand on, one of, on the doorpost there. And I'm sitting there talking to somebody, and somebody, somebody walks in from the other way and hits that door and knocks that door uh, and my hands there into the door frame. This, this might be a little gross for a Sunday morning uh, analogy, but we're almost to noon, so hopefully you can hang in there. Um, and so all of a sudden now we've kind of cut off a couple of fingers, okay? And we've got a couple of fingers sitting over there on the ground. Um, sorry, <laughs> I just realized this is kind of gross. Okay, just, just keep going, just keep rolling, okay. Um, and so that's, so the hand that had some fingers severed, that's, that's one of you. That's the husband or the wife, okay? And, and uh, so everything in that hand is sending messages to the brain. Danger, quick, move. Uh, somebody get the, the fingers, put them on ice, let's get to the hospital. Move, 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 okay? And if the other person, uh, the other spouse, let's say, is represented by the other hand, does not value the input of that hand, if they are like, oh, here you go again. 
you're always whining about something. You're just complaining about stuff. You know, you've, you've got five of them. You've got five fingers. I mean, it's just a couple of them, you know. Um, if, that, if that hand doesn't come over and actually put pressure there and actually get moving um, and the brain is kind of discounting that, not only is that hand going to eventually die, we're never, we're never going to be able to reattach those fingers, but that hand's going to die. But eventually the whole system's going to shut down. Oxygen's going to begin to go out of the brain. There's so much blood loss um, that the whole system's going to die. So when something harmful or difficult happens to another, it happens to us. The only way that we can move towards unity is by recognizing that, that, that we are all part of this body. What happens to you happens to me. You, it doesn't mean we're going to understand each other. We will not. We will oftentimes be confused by that. Um, but there is a place of unity. And the thing that, that I love that you are getting in the rhythm of doing is in just a moment we're going to, to experience the Eucharist together. Uh, I believe that the reason that, that we are encouraged to do this every, every time that we gather is because this is what unifies the body. This levels the playing field. This reminds us every time we come here that none of us deserve this grace that's been offered to us. We all need this grace. We, not, we all need this experience, this what we call a sacrament, this heaven meets earth, heaven coming to earth experience, this encounter with God is, is, is that we need it. And it pulls us all together. This also unifies us with the body of Christ that has been operating for centuries and centuries and centuries. From that last day in the upper room on. So this brings us in connection with all of those that have gone before us, all those saints that are cheering us on today. Uh, there's millions and millions of people all over the world today um, that are actually coming to this table together. This unifies us. Um, so let's make a commitment today to move towards each other. And we just have a final thought yes. to leave with you. Let's choose our focus. Let's choose to see the God part in each other. Let's offer grace to each other in our daily life and all that we do. Let's remember that everybody has their own stuff and everybody is fighting their own battles. And let's do whatever we can to find common ground and to move towards one another. Ephesians 4 says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. As Pastor come, let's pray. Lord, we, first of all, are so thankful for your nature, your grace, your love extended to all of us. We're thankful, we're thankful, Father, that you understand our human journey, that we've only seen the world through our eyes, and so we are very limited. But you see things beyond what we see. Uh, thank you that for the grace extended to us when we have separated ourselves from each other or thought that we had it right and they must have had it wrong. And so we're the in-group and they're the out-group. Lord, just simply forgive us and help us to do what we can do as we walk out of this building today to move towards others. 
whether that's at the gas station in a few minutes, filling up our car, whether it's at, whether that's at work tomorrow, whether that's with our spouse or our children or um, or somebody across um, um, the street, Lord, let let us by the power of your Spirit make this uh, commitment, and we trust that you'll reinforce it. That we will take our steps. And there's something about when we take a step, you step into that. And you make that step more than it could be just by our human efforts. And so we pray for a spirit of unity um, that will just invade our lives. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.